Here we all are now again. Greetings from Beijing in China, where I'm still knocking around at the Winter Olympics, I'd imagine. Uh, I'm not actually recording this in China. This is before I went to China, but uh, you have to do these things. Um, we are, well, I'm coming to the end of my stay in China now, so I should be back soon enough. Um, this week we have a couple of different things to bring you. Uh, there's a little bit of practical information for those of you living here and especially for those of you renting here. And there's also uh, a conversation about literature and books and Irishness and Swedishness and language and connection and all those things with Stephen Farn Lee, who's um, pretty much one of the biggest noises in publishing in in all of Sweden and all of the Nordic region. And uh, I paid a little visit to him there a little while ago, um, just in January there, to have a chat with him about it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episodes that we've had so far. There's a bit of a focus on sport for the last little while, but some interesting stories. And uh, I'm keeping banging the drum for Aoife Lisi at AIK Hockey that you heard from recently. Uh, I've been reaching out to the Swedish Irish Society and to the Stockholm Gales because Aoife, as I mentioned, is playing a game at home on the 26th. Sorry, not at home. She's playing away in Hovet against you, Gordon, on the 26th of February. So everybody who's in or around Stockholm that day, and when I say in or around, I'm talking to you boys and girls up in Yavla as well. Come on down for the day. So come on down. Uh, we'll go and see a bit of hockey in the middle of the day. If you left there, you know, you have about 9 o'clock, you'll be down here in Albury about 11 o'clock. We can go and have something to eat somewhere. And then we go and see Aoife playing hockey at 1 o'clock and then we can we can all go out afterwards. Or we can go home and lie on the couch. It's entirely up to you, right? But I'd like to get, I'd love to get as many people as possible down there. Actually, here's what we'll do is we'll go down there, we'll watch Aoife hopefully win the game with AIK and then we'll go to Veerstrom's pub, right? Veerstrom's the proud sponsors of the Irish and Sweden podcast. So we'll go and watch Aoife play, and as I say, she'll hopefully get the victory. And if not, uh, you know, if she gets the victory, we'll go to Veerstrom's and we'll celebrate. And if not, we'll go to Veerstrom's and we'll commiserate. And that's just the beginning and the end of it, right? Um, if you look at the show notes for last week, you'll find a link. It's you, Gordon, and the home team there. Uh, so you'll find a link to where you can get tickets for that game, right? So have a chat amongst yourselves. If you're working at Karolinska and you're working with Irish people, have a chat with them. If you're working on a building site, there's a few Irish lads up in Yavla, have a chat with them. Come on down. If, you know, wherever you're studying or working or whatever, see if you can find a few of the heads that you normally hang out with. If you're out in Ericsson and Shista, grab a couple of the boys and girls from the, the water cooler or from the lunchroom and get them. And let's go do this thing because not only do I think it'd be a great thing for, for Aoife, I think it'd be a great thing for us all to get together. We've had so little really to gather around during the pandemic a couple of cancelled St. Patrick's Day parades and that so let's get out there and let's support uh, Aoife Lisi and let's support Veerstrums as well because Martin has been very generous in sponsoring this podcast he was the one of the first he was certainly the first businessman or one of the first business people to say uh, look at I'm going to help you out here I want to sponsor the podcast and you know I, I never asked him he kind of came to me about it going look would you be happy enough to do that I'm delighted to have Veerstrums on board the, the finest the finest Irish pub in the world outside of Ireland and probably beats a good few of them in Ireland as well um, this week I wanted to start with a little bit of practical information and it's just because it's a question that comes up time and time again and we'll see it again now as the new players start to stream into the Stockholm Gales during the summer. It's always, lads, where do I get an apartment? Or, lads, I move an apartment that I can't get the deposit back, right? So... I got in touch with a, a group called Hyder's Yest Fidening, which is basically the renters' federation or the renters' union here. And if you pay them a few bob every month, I think it's about eight or nine euros, uh, Glenn will mention it in the interview there, you become a part of that, and then they'll give you sort of legal protection. So if you find yourself renting uh, what they call a second-hand contract, right? So people here, they rent an apartment from the building owner, and it could be a municipal uh, owner, you know, like the city of Stockholm or whoever, they have these companies that you can rent off. 
and then they have the first-hand contract, so they have the direct contract with, with the actual owner, and then they rent it out second-hand, so, you know, some guy might move in with his girlfriend, or some girl move, might move in with somebody, or move home, and they own the contract, but they can rent it out to you, and that's where, you know, loads and loads and loads of us are living with those second-hand contracts, so I just went through a few of the things with Glenn, uh, things to look out for, and, and that kind of thing, so I'll let him explain a little bit of this to you, and uh, se. I think is where you'll find it, but you have a listen to Glenn, and he might have uh, a few pointers for you if you're in the rental market. Could I just start by asking you, what's the most common way of finding a rental apartment here in Sweden? Well, we have a bit of a housing issue in Sweden at the moment. Uh, so I'm not, not entirely sure what the most common way is. But to get a first-hand contract, typically you stand in queue for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very Swedish in that way. Uh, and there might be multiple queues that a single tenant is written up on. So it might be a common municipal queue for um, the town or municipality uh, where several landlords have uh, signed up to be part of the same queuing system. And uh, some landlords have queues of their own or just accept applications without regards for a queue. Um, and in some of those big cities, like in Stockholm here, I think, you know, I live in a house, but I've been in the queue for like eight or 10 years or something. And I'm still, I don't know if I'm anywhere close to the top of it. So what's more common then, I suppose, would be what they call second-hand contracts. Is that right? Absolutely. That, that's uh, very common, especially in uh, bigger bigger cities like Stockholm, etc. Uh, because as you say, uh, a few years won't really help, so... Um, I suppose one of the one of the main things when you're getting uh, getting an apartment for the first time, um, like again, this is really aimed at people from Ireland or from people from outside of Sweden. What are the sort of the pitfalls pitfalls to avoid? I mean, obviously, we're talking about things like people shouldn't hand over money until they have a contract. But how can they know that the landlord or that the person they're hiring off is trustworthy? Yeah, and that's a thing that um, even the police warns about, that apartment fraud is uh, is on the rise, uh, especially with the current housing situation. Uh, so it's, I would recommend that uh, look up the person that you are about to sign a contract with to check if he really has the right to the apartment that you are about to sublet. Uh, because it's it's not uncommon for uh, fraudulent people to just copy um, an ad for an, an existing apartment and then placing them well with their own name instead. Mm. So try and have a look with the the uh, the owner of the property to see if that person is a tenant uh, and has uh, the right to to sublet the apartment. And if you're signing a contract with somebody, um, I suppose, you know, you're the lawyer, not me, right? But if I'm signing a contract, if I want to rent a property from Glenn Carlson, do you have to give me your personal number, your personal number, so that I can check out that you actually do have the right to rent out to me? Uh, no, you don't have to uh, give out your personal number in Sweden, really. Um, but, of course, as if you are to... to uh, sign a contract with me, I would really recommend that you look me up first mm-hmm. so you're sure that 
Ami. But Peugeot-Nummer in Sweden isn't very sensitive information. It's, it's very easy to find someone else's Peugeot-Nummer. Hmm. So it's, uh, it's no guarantee just because you have their Peugeot-Nummer. You, know, you, you still have to be careful, basically. Yeah, you have to be careful. Um, Hyrus Jesvereining, obviously, this is the, this, uh, every renter in Sweden is entitled to join the organisation and the organisation defends the rights of renters. What can a renter do? If I'm renting from you, uh, what can I do in case of a dispute? If you and me have a discussion about rent or, or the terms or that kind of thing, what, what, what rights do I have there, Glenn? Well, if, if you're a member with, with the Hyrus Jesvereining, and I would really recommend that you are, especially if you're in a vulnerable position, uh, you always have the right to legal advice from us. So we can look at the situation and tell you what the law says so mm-hmm. that you can uh, move for, forwards in relation to, to your landlord. And um, in certain cases, um, you can have the right to... Uh, uh, what's it called? That we actually go in and help you, mm-hmm. um, like a legal counsel in law. Yeah. So go to court that's a pretty good good access because again you're talking about people maybe who don't speak swedish and who, uh, who wouldn't understand these things so who does yes can offer legal representation legal advice that kind of thing you know um one of the things that comes up again and again is when somebody is leaving sweden say somebody's here working for a year or two years and they get to the end of their contract and all of a sudden they find that the landlord doesn't want to give them back the deposit is there any reason that the landlord can hold on to it or do they have to motivate that or how should one deal with that kind of situation well um the landlord is obliged to repay the the uh, deposits. Of course, if if there aren't any damages or anything like that that motivates them to keep it, they have to pay it back. The problem is, especially if, uh, for instance, you're moving back to Ireland in another country and you can't really represent yourself in, in a legal matter in Sweden as easily. Mm. Uh, it, it is a, a problem. It really is because if they're not paying it voluntarily, you would have to to sue them, really. Mm. And as a tenant, in that case, you would have to prove that uh, you have a, a contract that you're supposed to pay a deposit and uh, also prove that you have paid this deposit. So uh, e- either some, some sort of uh, transfer that uh, you can, can show uh, afterwards, like uh, internet banking or anything like that, mm-hmm. or that you actually have a receipt. Because if you can't prove that you have actually paid this money, uh, you're you're not going to be able to have any success. Is is it but, worth taking? But in that case, the, the the landlord would have to prove that uh, there are damages that yeah. you are liable for. So he has the burden of proof. So that's what I was going to ask you. Is it worth taking pictures of of furniture when you move in, of the bathroom when you move in, just to be on the safe side? Yeah, especially if it's a a shady landlord, I would recommend that you take pictures and also that you uh, write the landlord, Um, like an email or anything like that, where you actually uh, have a written statement that uh, (laughs) I've noticed these damages and uh, I'm I'm writing about you day one of my contract, so uh, it's extremely unlikely that I'm the one to have have uh, caused these damages. Mm. Um, in general, Glenn, is is it regular to have disputes between landlords and tenants? Uh, you know, or, or you know, is it just people who are unlucky who wind up in trouble, so to speak? 
no, um, it really depends, I would say. It, it's very personal. Uh, some landlords uh, are uh, more inclined to have uh, disputes with their tenants than, than others, I would say. Um, I know certain landlords won't really help the uh, the tenants at all if they aren't forced to. So yeah, it, it is a thing. Um, can you remember off the top of your head what it costs to become a member in Hyrus Gästföreningen? Uh, at the moment, it is 85 crowns per month. Okay. Uh, so... So I suppose yep. that, that average is about 100 euros a year to be a member of, of Hyrus Gästföreningen. Yes, somewhere about there, yeah. Yeah, and that would entitle you to, to protection and to, to legal advice and to a little bit of help if you do wind up in trouble with uh, with a landlord. And just one last question, my friend. Uh, can people have a conversation with you in English? Do you and your colleagues, are you happy enough for them to pick up the phone or communicate with you in English, or should they have somebody who's able to translate things into Swedish for them? No, well, we can handle simple English. Uh, it, it's not going to be like if you're actually residing in, in Ireland, but... Uh, hopefully we can help you anyway. That's brilliant. Uh, thank you very much for your time. I'm sure this will be very, very useful because uh, it's uh, it happens on occasion that people get in touch uh, with this podcast and ask these questions. So thank you very much indeed for taking the time to answer them today. Thank you. You don't have to raise your voice. You pay you! I can give you half. You pay no bitch. Hey, don't talk to me like that, okay? I'm getting this crap. Look, I, I thought I was clear in my email that I needed a couple weeks. I work too hard. Can I just get two more weeks? I want my money. You need to relax. Yeah, that's all. Uh-uh. I want my money, bitch. Hey, don't call me bitch. I'm a grown man. He goes Will Ferrell there with like 7 million hits on YouTube for a sketch that he calls The Landlord and his landlady Pearl is, uh, I don't think she's the kind of girl that you're going to come across or the kind of landlady you're going to come across in Sweden, but um, it can be a bit messy. So as Glenn was saying, get everything on paper. Uh, don't go paying out any money or swishing people money or giving people deposits without knowing exactly what it is that you're getting into. And um, if you do have an issue with it, you know, always get somebody, don't ever sign a contract if you don't understand what's written on it, right? So an awful lot of people hand you a contract in Swedish and say, yeah, that's just standard, you go ahead, right? Get somebody, call me, call somebody, call anybody, somebody you work with, somebody you play football with, you know, and somebody in your gym, somebody in your school, and get them to have a quick look through it. Because the problem with those things is that it's up to you to understand what it is that you're signing. And it just, you know, here is yesterday, not even they will be able to help you if you've signed something. And, you know, it's just, it's too late at that point, you know. Um, our next guest today is uh, a fascinating man altogether, and it was actually the ambassador, Austin Gormley, when I was talking to him, who said that he'd been speaking to this person, he'd be a great person to have on the podcast, and I didn't actually realise, I know who this man is, and I've known who he is for a very long time, and I knew that he worked 
with Irish authors and with Irish literature, and he was a great lover of that kind of thing. But I didn't actually realise his own Irish connection, so to speak. So uh, this is a man named Stephen Farron Lee, and like I say, he's one of the the real sort of top dogs in publishing, not just in in Sweden but in the entire Nordic region. He's worked as a culture journalist. He's worked for the state broadcaster Sveriges Radio and talked about books and literature. And uh, I was sat down with him recently to talk about literature, to talk about books, to talk about reading in general and, you know, how people read and what people read. So, uh, yeah, we sat down, we had a good conversation about that. And you never know, he might even get me to write another book or two at some point in the near future. But in the meantime, uh, have a listen to what he says. And it's something that is absolutely fascinating to hear about how you uh, how you transfer an Irish book and the feeling of an Irish book into the Swedish language and sort of keep what it was the author meant but still make it understandable to a Swedish audience. So this is Stephen Farron Lee on life, on Irishness and on literature. Well, Stephen, I suppose the obvious starting point is... Uh, with your relationship to Ireland and to Irish literature. So could you just explain a little bit about the background behind that? Absolutely. I'd say it started in a way in the 70s uh, uh, as a sort of fantasy. Uh, I knew that I had Irish ancestry on my father's side, uh, but not really who they were and and how it came about. Uh, Actually, uh, that my grandfather came from Ireland to England, which was the case. So I had to sort of put the pieces together and I started going to Ireland in the 80s, quite a few times in the 90s and and onwards. And the more I went there, the more I sort of found out about my family. And the fantasy part is actually I don't have any relatives at all. Okay. Because on my father's side, uh, I, I usually call it, it's sort of 100 years of solitude. Yeah. Because my grandfather was the only child. Yeah. And he was often quite young, uh, so he went to England. He was taken care of uh, by another family. And then my father was an only child, yeah. so I don't have any cousins, I don't have any second cousins, I don't have anything. Yeah. So my connection to Ireland is, is very much in my own head, yeah. and it's been extremely important for me. And I'd say my growing suspicion against Britishness has yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of um, been quite a vital part of it as well. Mm. I don't feel comfortable at all being English. No. But if you look at my ancestry, I'm actually more English than Irish mm. because my great-grandmother was English, my grandmother was English. Yeah. But I sort of, um, especially after Brexit, I felt that I, now I'm done with this. I mean, it's, yeah. it's nothing that I, I've feel I want to be a part of, but the idea of being Irish has always been very important to me. So that's the, I mean, in my head, the fantasy part of it, uh, to, to, to put it shortly, I mean, and I, I sympathize with many things that Ireland has done for the past two decades. I think it's the modernization of Ireland has been quite astonishing. Yeah. I, I think it's fantastic the way that the nation has sort of uh, risen uh, out of uh, extreme uh, conditions, actually, with uh, to start with, with uh, you know, all the process of actually being a, a nation of its own, mm. and then uh, all the problems with the economy and, and uh, 
with uh, problems get for young people getting jobs, mm. uh, both in the 60s and the 80s and everything. Mm. I think it's, it's admirable in, in many ways. So I feel very much part of being Irish, mm. even if I haven't lived there uh, mm. more than a few weeks mm. in my life at a time, actually. Where was your grandfather from? He was actually, he, he wasn't from the Republic to start with. I mean, yeah. he was from Armagh. So he was born in Armagh City yeah. uh, in 1904. 1904, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a connection that actually that's, that hasn't been around for a hundred years, really. But, I mean, I think actually being part of something or being, uh, get the feeling of, of uh, be, being a part of a nation or being mm. a citizen is not really only in the blood. I think it's it's more, and I think that should be addressed addressed more than it has been in Europe. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, if you live there or if you sort of take part in in a nation's history and the politics of uh, of today, I mean, I think that's also also a very very um, vital part of being a citizen as well. Mm-hmm. I mean. Sorry, it's a bit muddled now. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's a fascinating thing because one of these things that, you know, it's not just sort of first-generation people like me born in Dublin no. who have the the only valid claim to Irishness. No, no. My children who were born here, uh, the children of, of the Irish diaspora uh, yeah. in, in England, everybody has, a claim, everybody has a different claim, everybody has a different experience, yeah. and none of them... This whole idea that you know, you know, people laughing at Irish Americans on St. Patrick's Day and that kind of thing. I yeah. have always not really enjoyed that kind yeah. of thing. But the strength of your of the bond that you feel with Ireland, the connection yeah. you feel to Ireland. Do you feel the fact that your grandfather was an only child and your father was an only child? Do you feel that that makes it almost simpler and might make it even stronger because there's no there's no detours here? Absolutely, I think you're quite right. That's that's <clears throat> uh, that's very true because. In my family, I'm the one that knows most about our history because yeah. I, I did actually, I made some research into it. Mm. <clears throat> so I know where they were brought up. I know that I have a Dublin sort of, uh, there's a Dublin route and there's mm. a route in, in uh, County Tyrone. I think there's even a route in, in Limerick actually when mm. you go way back. Uh, but, but I'm free sort of to, to make this family Maybe this sounds stupid, but my own creation in a way. Yeah, well, again, I think we all create our own experience of what it is. Like my daughter's yeah. learning Irish at the moment, which is like it's loads of fun to see her coming from Duolingo and uh, with these <laughs> expressions, you know. And it is what you make it, you know. It is the, the sort of the house that you build. Yeah. But obviously, a very important part of that then for you growing up was your relationship with Irish literature. Now. Uh, it was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't apply for Irish citizenship until a few years ago, so yeah. I've been sort of a citizen just for a few years, to, mm. be, uh, to be quite frank. But, but it started out, I think it was a friend of mine to start with, uh, who pointed out that you should, uh, you should read Flannery Bryan. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's, he's your kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, so I did, and I found out that, uh, that he was. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's then, a lot of people's kind of guy, Flannery Bryan. <laughs> and then I'd started out reading Joyce when I was 18. Uh, how, did that, out, how did that go at 18 for you? Uh, I started out with Dubliners, actually. Okay. So I think that was, that was the easy way. Yeah. But I, I was extremely taken by it. I loved it, really. Mm-hmm. And I started out reading Ulysses, that was a few years after, in Swedish translation, mind you. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I, I did it as sort of uh, uh, a homework I assigned to myself. So yeah. I, I read 50 pages a day. Uh, wow. Not more, 
not less. But mm. I mean, it took a summer, yeah. and then I'd read it, and I found out that I could sort of enjoy it very much. Yeah. In parts. <laughs> I, I did it the other way around. I tried to read Ulysses and I went, no, I can't. I just, just can't. <laughs> and it was only last year. And I've had Dubliners in my house for 20 years, 30 yeah, years. Yeah. And it was only last year I read it and I went, oh, now. Now I get it. Now I <laughs> exactly. understand what all this is I about. I think actually that, that Dubliners is his, his best work. I mean, yeah. especially The Dead. I think it's, uh, I read it every year. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Uh, and then I started reading more and more, and in the 90s I, I started reading the younger writers, and me and a friend of mine actually, we made uh, a collection of interviews with, with a few of them. That was, uh, became a book yeah. with a stupid title, Joyce Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And this was the book with Ola Lashmo. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it wasn't the best title, was it? You know, I found it fascinating. I want to read that book. It was one of those, yeah, I've got to get that. Yeah, the problem is, well, he does. Joyce does live here. The, the shadow of him hangs over an awful lot of things exactly. in Irish literature. Still does. And it's not a problem, really. But, I mean, but, but I'm guessing that the title of the book came from something that one of those writers said to you. No, no, no. no? It, it came from the film, actually. Alice doesn't leave, uh, live oh, here. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so it was a pun. Yeah. A very, a very bad pun. So, so it didn't work out. And we asked all the writers, does well their connection to Joyce? And they said, well, it's great fun. I like him. So I mean, it was yeah. anyway. But we had great fun while doing this, and it was sort of uh, coincided with uh, the Good Friday Agreement mm. uh, coming into life uh, and uh, um, the uh, the referendum in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So we were actually there over the over that night. Mm. Uh, which was fantastic, really, and, yeah. and uh, just to see, well, to start with, that it was the great majority for the Good Friday Agreement and yeah. the referendum. And then the, the peace and quiet that sort of uh, fell over Belfast uh, mm. the days after. You'd sort of imagine that uh, people would go out into the streets and and there would be feasts uh, all over the place and mm. the pubs and everything. And I, I remember actually... I think we took a cab late that night uh, through Belfast and, and you didn't see uh, a single soul actually on the streets. Yeah. It was all quiet. And then we asked friends of ours the, the day after and they said, well, I mean, we're used to these kinds of things happen. Uh, I mean, hope is, is awakened uh, from time to time. Uh, yeah. But I mean, we, we let's believe see it what we happens. See it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was a very... Uh, that was a very important experience for me. Yeah. And I sort of saw Northern Ireland in the first, for the first time in another light. Yeah. I mean, uh, the people there and, and what could actually happen. And that was the sense of actually one of the ancient battlegrounds in Europe, I mean, yeah. Middle East and Northern Ireland, that things actually seemed to, to, uh, to come to, come, uh, I mean, the sense of a new direction was very, mm. very, uh, very strong when we were there, mm. and and that's why I was so, so extremely disappointed with with Brexit. Yeah. I, and and as I said, I think that's when I definitely felt that I'm I'm through with with Britishness. Yeah. Actually, because this this sense of isolation and wanting to be. Uh, in itself, for itself, 
was such a big disappointment and not caring about anybody in Northern Ireland, mm. not caring about Ireland at all mm. with trade, uh, with, with politics, with violence that could sort of erupt mm. uh, due to this decision. They just didn't care. Yeah. I thought it was uh, dreadful, I think. But you I, no, no more than you or I create our experience of Irishness Certain mm. people created their experience of Britishness, and yeah. it's a very ex excluding kind of thing. And, yeah. and Northern Ireland isn't part of that. You know, mm. I've always had the opinion that British people, for the most part, neither know nor care about no. Northern no. Ireland. And the other point I tend to make is, it's not that British people don't know Irish history; it's that they don't know British history either. No, no, for no, the no most you're quite part. right. You're quite right. But if you look back at the at the, the the authors and the writers that you were talking to at that time, around the time that that book, the book yeah. you wrote with Ola Loshmo came out yeah. in '99, I think. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So around that time, there was a sense of positivity in Ireland. And there's one writer in particular sticks out to me, and you've translated his work into Swedish, and that's Pat McCabe, yeah. who wrote The Butcher Boy yeah, 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 exactly. and Breakfast on Pluto. Um, what, what was the, sort of the zeitgeist? What was going on in Irish literature around that time with writers like Pat? Uh, you get a strong feeling that actually, um, I think that, Maybe the Joyce thing had something to do with that because you, you, you got a feeling that this is a new, strong generation. They don't have to deal with the past in a negative way. Mm. They don't have to feel that this is, this is destiny, uh, that, that this island is sort of bound by its destiny in mm. a bad way. Uh, they had started to travel much more due to Ryanair, the Ryanair mm. generation. And I think they were sort of being read very much uh, in their own rights, mm. not being sort of Irish, but being writers in yeah. their own right. That's at least how I read them. And at the same time, they were very, very aware of where they came from. So I think that this combination was very interesting. But they, they, uh, they were uh, very much uh, a part of the society. I mean, they, they wrote about uh, being out of work, they wrote about the violence in Northern Ireland, they wrote about I mean, anything that had to do with everyday Ireland. Mm -hmm. But they did it in a, in a humorous, in a very vibrant way, and I thought it was really irresistible. Mm -hmm. I think reading uh, Joseph O'Connor gave that feeling. I mean, for the first time when I read Cowboys and Indians, mm -hmm. his debut novel, I I got the feeling that, well, this is a strike of genius, and mm. and 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 it's it's that kind of literature, even when it's sort of, when it's sad and when it's uh, it's it deals with uh, depressing topics, that it makes you happy in in, yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. And I I very much got the same feeling with uh, with Ripley Bogle by Robert McLean Wilson, mm. England Patterson. They were smart. They were funny. They were aggressive in, in, a, in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, and Enright, you could name them all. I mean, yeah. I think there was an extraordinary generation. Uh, and I think they, they, they uh, I haven't talked to, to later day uh, younger writers from Ireland after that, but I think they were very important as a group, as, uh, as a collective uh, for, for uh, uh, writers you see today, mm. like Sally Rooney or, or uh, yeah. Anna Burns or whatever. I yeah. mean, I think they, they paved the way, really. Mm. Uh, so it was really so much fun and so interesting to actually talk about them, the, the, talk with them and, and sort of see patterns. That's why we wrote the book. The, the, the practicalities, though, of taking 
you know, Pat McCabe and translating that into Swedish, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you can't, <laughs> you're looking at me going, yeah, that wasn't working, that wasn't no, charming. No, 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 it wasn't. The strange thing, actually, uh, and, and you could compare with Joyce, I suppose. I would never uh, have, the, <laughs> have the nerve to, to translate Ulysses or even parts of it. But the thing is, you've read The Butcher Boy, you know that parts of it, or, or, or quite a few parts of it, I mm. say the majority of the novel is sort of a stream of consciousness writing. Yeah. And I thought when I read it the first time, well, maybe this is more than I could uh, actually take. Uh, let's see. And that was my first major work I actually translated into Swedish. Yeah. And then I came into the parts, or, or at least some of the more nightmarish uh, parts of the novel when... when his mind is sort of straying in all kinds of direction, I mean, into psychosis and everything. Mm -hmm. That if you just sort of keep the pace, the sort of rhythm yeah. in your head, the tonality, it was, it was quite easy, actually. Yeah. The rest <laughs> will work itself out. Exactly. <laughs> the only thing, and I was so... Uh, the one thing I remember the most, actually, I was just one detail. I usually uh, mention this to... Um, translators. Uh, there's a part when, when the butcher boy, his father is dead and he's sitting around in the, in the baker shop and he's scurrying around and he sort of, he doesn't take in that his father actually is a corpse. Mm. Uh, and, and he's sort of preparing for all the relatives that are supposed to come over for the funeral, but I mean, it's yeah. a, uh, and he has to bake a cake. And he sort of gathers around all the ingredients and he uh, rushes around in pantries and everything. And then he said, oh, mustn't forget the hundreds and thousands. And then rushes off again. And I thought, what is that? Uh, hundreds and thousands. Is it due to all the flies flying around yeah. because of, well, you know, quite a ghostly chapter, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then I managed. It was... Much harder back then, 20 years ago. You couldn't use no wiki, Google. nothing. Yeah, no. uh, and I looked it up in every dictionary I could find. And, and finally, I struck gold. And it's, it's called in Swedish, we call it strössel. Strössel, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that was like, okay, what the hell is this man? Exactly. It was so easy when you found it. But, but, but can you, like, you know, when you're translating an author's book, can you not call him up and say, Pat, what the bloody hell is I did, mean? actually. I, I sent, as far as I remember, I think I sent a few letters to him. Yeah. But I, I, you, you don't do that every day. You don't do it every week. You sort of, you collect everything. Yeah. And then you hope to uh, at least find some of the... Uh, not too hard pieces out by yourself because yeah. it's a bit embarrassing to, to actually ask for things that should be quite apparent. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, uh, there was a guy who had written a book in Swedish about Brazilian football. Yeah. And the World Cup was due to take place in Brazil in 2014, so they were putting it out in English. Wasn't that Fredrik Ekelund? No. It like, might have been. Ah. Was it Samba Football? Was that the name? Yeah, that's yeah, okay. right. yeah. So, so they had given it to a translator, and I think it was like a woman who had translated it who didn't really know much about football, but her you know, <laughs> translation was really good. But she translated... And this word heel kick kept coming up, which uh, is clack spack yeah. in Klaxback, Swedish, yeah. which is like, you know, very literal, but it basically means back heel in English. And I kept going, I was going, what the bloody hell do they mean here? And now after five minutes, I didn't have to contact Pat McCabe to find out what it was. But if you had left it in, everybody in English reading it would have gone, this is Exactly. Weird, you know? I mean, that's what you're really afraid of, actually, yeah. that, that somebody should see the, the, the bleeding obvious. <laughs> exactly. You really should have caught that. No, wrong guy to do the job. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, but if you look at the, the, the works that you've translated, you mentioned Joseph O'Connor there, you yeah. mentioned Anne Enright. On the wider Swedish stage, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. every year there's a bit of a celebration for Bloomsday here yeah, in Stockholm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was at Ronell's uh, Antic Fabriot, the, the bookstore yeah, here. Yeah. Um, how is Irish literature, how are Irish writers perceived in modern day Sweden? I, is I, it a thing at all? Uh, I, I'm not sure they're actually perceived as Irish writers anymore. I mean, have a look at Sally Rooney. I, I, she's yeah. not sort of. Uh, hailed as an Irish phenomenon, she is hailed as a phenomenon. Yeah, uh, and and the setting is Ireland, uh, but uh, she she's not perceived at all as being sort of representative of her, of her nation or of her nation's literature or at all. So I think that's changed, and that's mm. changed uh, changed uh, thoroughly actually. Uh, is, that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not sure actually. I mean, I sort of uh, stick to the. I mean, I. Since I saw what what the, the younger writers, I mean, they were young when I was young, mm. uh, what they achieved and actually writing about everyday Ireland, about historic Ireland. I mean, look at Joseph O'Connor and mm. Star of the Sea, for example, uh, and and uh, and actually addressing problems, but doing it in a free way. Yeah. I, I love that uh, that concept of actually writing modern uh, prose, mm. and I think that. Um, Perhaps it's a good thing, but I, I sort of miss parts of that sense of actually, uh, I, I actually not not consciously, but being part of of a nation's forming or, or the forming of a modern nation. Mm. I think that's that's an important part of being a writer as well, mm. even if you don't have to be sort of political in a way. Mm. I mean, look at. Writers like uh, Kerstin Ekman or Sara Lidman or other Swedish writers mm. have written about uh, Sweden forming as a new nation, as a modern nation yeah. in the beginning of the, the uh, 20th century. Mm. I mean, that was quite important for actually for us to learn about who we are. Yeah. But then again, look at Anna Burns. I think she's a magnificent writer and she has written about those things. So, yeah. so I, I, to, be, to, be, um, to be honest, I think it's it's uh, more due to me not being aware in the same way I mm. was 20 years ago to, uh, 20 years ago about what uh, what kinds of uh, new writers are around actually mm. so I have to make up for that really mm. by reading more but uh, uh, but I think no I miss it a bit actually yeah but, but that could be the standpoint of somebody who's standing from the outside mm. I mean uh, if people would come here and, and interview me about Swedish literature and and how come they're not writing about uh, the, Swedish, the Swedish nation anymore the way they did in the 70s, I mm. would say, but well, listen, there are plenty of other good stuff around, I suppose that's what an Irish reader would say. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure, but I think so. I wonder, is there, is there any point, either for Swedish or Irish literature, in revisiting some of those things? Because now it's a hundred years since the Free State was born, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I mean, from our historical perspective, knowing what we know now, with everything that has happened, and you know, with Swedish literature, I tend to go back to Wilhelm Mubay, because I, re yeah. I read him in English when I moved Absolutely. here. Yeah, yeah. And it gave me a, a much greater understanding of, you know, we grew up with Olaf Palme and the yeah. Swedish people's home, yeah, 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 yeah. thinking that that was the thing. But there's actually a much broader story there. Is it worth Revisiting these things in literature. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it is actually revisited. Look at Ola Larsmo uh, and his Swede Hollow, mm. for example. I think that was a sort of, uh, oh, surely not an antidote, but, but some kind of 
a way of, of uh, uh, putting Moberg's sort of statements uh, or, or putting them in a new light. I yeah. mean, because of uh, Moberg's idea of the, the, the emigrant Swede of being yeah. sort of uh, a salt-of-the-earth character of Karloska and Kristina. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, uh, Ola, uh, I think magnificently showed that in, uh, in uh, most cases, or in many cases, they ended up in the same slums as, as, uh, as the blacks and the Irish mm. and the Italians as they did in Swede Hollow uh, yeah. in Minnesota. Uh, they were actually neighbors, and the, the squalor was the same. Yeah. And I think that was really good. And he was, well, that was quite hated by the right-wing sort of uh, hardcore. For pointing that out. Yeah, yeah, because he sort of, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't show the salt of the earth character that he wanted. Uh, yeah. So I think that Mulberry was fantastic. I loved Mulberry. Mm. But the thing is, he had an idealized uh, picture of the Eberland Swede as well. Mm. Um, it, it actually reminds me of a story. Perhaps this doesn't have anything to do with anything. But I remember actually talking to Tony Irving, you know, the, the dance guy. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he published a book at one of my former uh, publishing houses. And, and there was a lunch and we had a sort of presentation of various books and various writers. And I, uh, I, I talked to him and I said, I, I love your accent and I think you're very good at Swedish, which was a lie, but I, I, I like the concept <laughs> of an Englishman or an Irishman, for that matter, actually learning Swedish when yeah. they come here, because that's what my father did when he came in the 50s. Yeah. He had to learn Swedish quickly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we talked about that. And he said, well, funny thing, I talked to my father about that. Uh, I, I moved for love. Uh, uh, he had somebody here. And so he decided he wanted to, uh, to actually learn Swedish. Uh, he had applied for a Swedish for immigrants uh, uh, course. Yeah. So he phoned his father and said, uh, Dad, I'm, I'm going to, to study Swedish for immigrants. <laughs> it was sort of silent at the other end. And the father said, <laughs> uh, yeah, after 20 seconds of total silence, he said, but Tony, you're not an immigrant, you're an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, to, I just love that story. To, to this day, we call them expats. They're not immigrants here. English people are expats wherever exactly. they go. Exactly. I think the Mumbai idea of the emigrant Swede is that he's always an emigrant. He's never yeah. the immigrant. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what actually Ola Norsmo managed in Swede Hollow to sort of, uh, well turn this idea around yeah. in, a, in a very fruitful and, and necessary way, I'd say. I think in the Irish experience, we always had a much less romantic view Absolutely. of immigration. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we didn't mind saying that we wound up on the Lower East Side in slums. And no, that no, no, exactly. Out, no, you know? exactly. But if I could just ask you one, I could sit here and talk to you for hours about these things, but I'm conscious of the time. Um, in terms of literature, we hear and again, inverted commas I'm holding up here now, you know, the people read less. I mean, yeah. I would argue that people read more now than they ever did because they're on their phones the whole time, but they read things, short things, they use, yeah. you know, Twitter, Snapchat, these things. Yeah. As a publisher, as somebody who's virtually spent all their working life in publishing, how do you see the book business, literature, and where's it going? Uh, well, it's two things, really. I, I, the youth, they read much less. That's, yeah. that's a huge problem. I'd say it's not a problem for me <laughs> because in a few years, I mean, I'm, I'm a senior citizen, so 
<laughs> no, but that's a huge problem, really yeah. it is. But I think uh, even for older readers or for uh, every reader from 30 and upwards, it's not the problem that they, they read less, they listen more. Yeah. Uh, we could see that, I mean, it's become extremely important actually to uh, uh, to produce uh, audiobooks yeah and and that's a, a big uh, part of uh, our near future actually to to see to it that we actually get all these books done yeah uh, because uh, uh, the audio market is is much bigger than in the other scandinavian countries yeah and uh, well, there are so many people from the industry that say this is the future. You have to sort of come to terms with it. Yeah. When we could sell a book, and that's not the normal uh, for uh, for a novel, but say that we could sell a book, uh, a best-selling book, up to thirty or forty thousand copies twenty years ago when I started out as a public or as an editor, um, I'd say the 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 new uh, uh, number would be. Four or five. So I That's mean, all. it's yeah, uh, and then you could hope for sales in audio and ebooks as well. Yeah, but the money they get and we get for actually selling uh, or streaming uh, audiobooks is is much less. So you have to sort of keep it going. So the yeah. economy is very different nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so, but where it ends, you never know. I mean, is 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 this a thing? Uh, that's going to, to, to fade away. Will we get back to reading uh, hardbacks again uh, and, and audiobooks will sort of be just one of the lesser formats? Or will it take over? You, know, mm. you, you don't know really because it's, uh, th this isn't the case of Norway. They have, their own, uh, they have their own laws that make actually, they have a short period of time when you only can sell the hardback copies and, and at least for half a year. Yeah. But here you start selling the formats immediately at the same time. Yeah. And it hasn't really happened in Denmark yet. So Sweden is sort of uh, once again a pioneer when it comes to new technology mm. and new, new ways of selling things. But I mean, we have a situation now where audiobooks is the thing. Mm. Uh, and, um, but I'm not really, I, I've never been very good at actually seeing things in the future. And, uh, yeah. I'm quite happy with actually working with the books I work with yeah. today, but but there's a new uh, there's a new uh, it's it's a new industry now. Yeah. It's not the same industry I uh, when I started out 20 years ago. This is a, uh, a totally new deal actually. Where, where do e-books fit into all that? Because e-book is it's still reading. Okay, it's not yeah, the paper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our sales in e-books, but audiobooks is the big sort of sales. That's the holy yeah, grail now. That's yeah, right. it is absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, I will see. We'll see. I'm going to ask you for two final tips, right? Yeah. Uh, one is if you could recommend people to read one book and only one book uh, from an Irish author <laughs> and one from a Swedish author, please. Well, well, I wouldn't recommend this book I'm reading now, but I find it very interesting. It's uh, what's the name again? Gretchen Freeman has okay. written a book about the treaty. Ah. Uh, I find extremely interesting, uh, that, but that's beside this point. One Irish writer, and I would have to say, uh, I would have to say either uh, Dubliners or Ulysses. And I'm actually, I'm actually named after the main character of Ulysses. I was baptized 
Stephen off to Stephen Dudley Stephen and Stephen's Green. So I mean, that's super. The, <laughs> that's no, I think you can't sort of get around Joyce. You can hate him, you can find him tedious, but I think that that is the best short story ever written. Actually, mm -hmm. it has it all. So I'd say that uh, I, I don't want to be original. I just go for the best. That's that's fine, buddy. That's, <laughs> we're all good at that. And and well, Swedish writers—that's a bit trickier. I mean, a few of mine absolute are my absolute favorites. I actually work with them now. There's Klaus Östergren, for for instance, is mm. one of my actually uh, my absolute favorite authors. But uh, but I wouldn't mention him because. Uh, his well, head would get too big. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's rather, actually. I mean, it's uh, it, it's uh, it could be perceived as marketing. So I, I see. Oh, that's very common. no. But I say a classic again. I think one one uh, one novel of Alma Söderberg. Alma Söderberg has been my sort of light of life for decades. Mm. So either Doctor Glass, but I actually prefer then um, Alvar Samalirken. Okay. which is, uh, I think, one of the best uh, and bitterest uh, love stories ever written, actually. That's so. what the, the name of that, that was The Serious Game. Then all, the Serious all, Game, all, then Alvar Samaleken. Very good. So if anybody's looking to pick that up. And would that be something that people with a sort of a basic level of Swedish could read, or are you better to give it a couple of years of studying no, the language? No, I would say that Jalman Söderberg, his, he was uh, hailed as one of the best uh, writers when it at not the least when it comes to prose. I mean, the style and the level yeah. of Swedish, actually. Mm. And I'd say it's, it's quite clear. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not oversimplifying, but it's not, it's not that hard either. I mean, yeah. it's a bit dated because, I mean, some of the verb forms aren't around anymore. But yeah, that's yeah. sort of just, uh, I, I wouldn't say that's a big problem. Mm. Uh, so I'd say that, I suppose, when you sort of... Uh, at least semi-fluent in Swedish. I think you should have a go for mm. for Söderberg. And if you don't want to read the whole novel, I mean, he's quite, uh, he was one of the best short story writers as well. And there's a collection called Historietter, short stories by, and, and one that we always read in the schools, or used to anyway, called The Fur Coat, which mm. is fantastic. Or a short story by Strindberg, he was fantastic at that. Well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, um, but I, I prefer to, to choose from the classics, but I have many favorites, obviously. I mean, this is my job. So. Exactly. Most of them are coming out on Polaris in the near future. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best. <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. I was only a lad when I became known on account of what I'd done. Oh, yeah. Known forever as the notorious Francie Brady. Francie Brady, the butcher boy. We're all gathered here to pray for the redemption of Francis Brady. What's this world coming to? And all those people like Mrs. Nugent, well, you knew they were no better than pigs. Pigs! Pigs! No better than a pig! <laughs> Disgusting fine! There you go, a little snippet there of The Butcher Boy, written by Pat McCabe. Could it really be 1997 when that film came out? Jeez, it only seems like yesterday when it was there. I think it was Neil Jordan directed it, the man who directed an interview with a vampire and The Crying Game and some of the other great Irish movies and has been knocking around there for many years. 
I've never actually seen the movie, but the book is uh, is quite incredible altogether. And it's fascinating to hear Stephen recounting how you go about translating things like that. And I also love this idea, and it's one of those things that we'll keep coming back to, is about creating his own sense of Irishness within the, the family that he had. And, and the, you know, some of the bonds may not be the strongest. Like I was saying, I'm born red in Dublin. He wasn't, but he still feels this very strong bond. And I suppose each to his own, but it's fascinating to hear him recount that experience. Uh, we're almost done for this episode. This is the last episode that will come out whilst I am in China. Remember, you can support the show on Swish, one two three twenty four twenty four one six six. If you can, become a monthly contributor at patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm, right? You can do it for 20 crowns, you can do it for 50 crowns, you can do it for 100 crowns, right? 50 crowns won't even get you a pint of Guinness, right? But it will get you about four podcasts a month, plus the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast, plus whatever else. There's another podcast series coming up on the same feed reasonably soon. There's the first couple of episodes have been recorded but i'll tell you more about that when it gets here especially if you're interested in football that'll uh, grab your attention and you know i could talk about you know oh it's only you know 10 crowns podcast whatever that's not what it's about it's about doing something for the community and hopefully people in the community seeing a value in that and supporting it the way that martin hessian adveres to himself has done you know i want to keep these things available to everybody so if you're an erasmus student i want this i don't want this to be behind a paywall which is why everything even on patreon goes out free because i want if you're 18 19 20 and you're coming over here for a year i don't want you to have to sign up just to hear about that chap what that chap glenn from hudis yesterday anything has to say right but that means then the people in the community who have a few bob in their pocket if you can afford to chuck that in here that's the way it works blind boy calls it the soundness model and uh i god i might have been contributing to blind boy for years but i barely even have time to listen to his podcast anymore but i think what he does is worth doing so that's why I'm prepared to pay for it and I hope that there's people out there who think the same thing about this podcast and the things that I'm doing Anyway, uh, don't forget now to go to Hugh Gordon's Hockey and see if you can find a ticket for Aoife Lisi's match because I'll be travelling home from Beijing now on Tuesday the 20-something and I'll be back. Uh, I'll be going to Dublin the following Sunday but I'll be there for Aoife's match, right? So I'm definitely going to be there, 100%. 1 o'clock, that's it. Doesn't matter how bad the Beijing jet lag is, I'm going to be there to cheer Aoife on and I want to see as many of you there as possible. Get the tricolours out, get the Irish jerseys out. If you have an Ico jersey, put that on as well, right? But uh, let's all meet there on the 26th of February in Hobart at uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. Cheer on Eva Lisi. And in the meantime, I'm going to cheer on you as well. You're doing great. We're getting out of the winter's nearly over. The spring is nearly here. The Winter Olympics is over now. That's that's it, you know. So uh, let's get out of this and hopefully we'll all meet again as soon as possible. In the meantime, mind yourselves, look after yourselves, look after one another, and I'll talk to you very soon again on the Irish in Sweden podcast. Good night, Rian Borlev. <laughs> <laughs>